Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in and they have a great question. And the question is this, is the Holy Spirit a person? Wow, friends, this is a really important question. And today uh, we are seeing a lot of confusion about, and frankly, wrong teaching about who the Holy Spirit is. And so I hope that this will be really, really helpful. Uh, Jesus said this in John sixteen seven. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do go away, I will send him to you in John sixteen seven. Now, the Greek word used here, uh, translated as helpers, parkletos. And in its technical form, it has a legal dimension. It refers to one who would be an advocate. And in the wider context, it speaks of comfort, protection, counsel, guidance. In fact, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in John 14 as a spirit of truth in John 14, 17 and 16, 13. So let's talk about uh, five uh, key truths about the Holy Spirit as helper. And then we'll dive a little deeper as we end this episode. First, we need to notice that the Holy Spirit is a unique person and not simply a, a force, an influence. He is spoken of as a he, not an it. In fact, this is important because if you listen to people carefully about how they speak about the Holy Spirit, you might hear them speak as if uh, the Holy Spirit is just neutered. In fact, you might even uh, talk about the Holy Spirit this way yourself. In fact, if you do, I hope that you'll immediately bite your tongue. We have to immediate, We have to understand that the Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity, and He is personal. As, as a person, He may be grieved, Ephesians 4.30 says. He may be quenched in terms of the exercise of His will, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, and He may be resisted, Acts 7.51 says. Second, the Holy Spirit is one both with the Father and with the Son. In theological terms, he is co-equal and co-eternal. And when we read the whole Upper Room Discourse, we discover that it was both the Father and the Son who would send the Spirit in John 14, 16, and 16, 17. And the Spirit came and the Spirit acted for the both of them. And so the activity of the Spirit is never given to us in Scripture in isolation from the person and the work of of Christ, or in isolation from the eternal work of the Father. And any endeavor to think of the Spirit in terms that are immediately mystical and divorced from Scripture will take us down all sorts of side streets and eventually to dead ends and, even worse, to heresy. Third, the Holy Spirit was the agent of creation. In the account of creation, at the very beginning of the Bible, we're told this in Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the Hebrew word translated as spirit is ruk, and it can also mean breath. 
The Rook Elohim, the, the breath of the Almighty, is the agent of creation. It is not the immortality of the spirit that's in view here, but rather his power, his energy. The picture is of God's energy breathing out creation, as it were, uh, speaking the worlds into existence, putting the stars into space. And so when we read in Isaiah 40, 26, and the question is asked, who created these? We have the answer in Genesis 1, 2. The spirit is the irresistible power by which God accomplishes his purpose. In fact, one of the questions of Old Testament scholarship concerns the extent to which we are able to discover the distinct personhood of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament. In other words, when we can understand the nature of his hypostasis in the Old Testament alone. And when we read Genesis 1, it's not difficult to see that we have in the second verse, certainly in light of all that has been subsequently revealed, a clear and a distinct reference to the third person of the Trinity. In his book, uh, The Holy Spirit, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson notes that if we recognize the divine spirit in Genesis 1-2, to that provides what some refer to as the missing link in Genesis 1.26, where God said, Let us make man in our image. Ferguson observes that this is the clear antecedent reference to the Spirit of God at work in Genesis 1 and 2. So this issue, it reminds us that it's helpful to read our Bible backwards. And as we read from the back to the front, we discover the truth of the classic interpretive principle attributed to Augustine. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old is in the New Testament revealed. In other words, we discover the implication of those teaching and events that come earlier in the Scriptures. Now, fourth, the Holy Spirit is the agent not only of creation, but also of God's new creation in Christ. He is the author of the new birth. We see this in John 3, in the classic encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, where Jesus said in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this truth, of course, is worked out in the rest of the Bible. Fifth, the, the Spirit is the author of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God. The, the Greek word behind this phrase is theopneustos. So it means God breathe. In creation, we have the spirit breathing his energy, releasing the power of God in the act of creation. We have the same thing in the act of redemption, and we see it again in the divine act of giving us the record in the scriptures themselves. The doctrine of inspiration is entirely related to the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter affirms this view, writing in 2 Peter 1.21, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the men who wrote the biblical books were not inventing things. They were not automatons. They were real people in real historical times with real DNA, writing according to their historical settings and personalities. But the authorship of Scripture was dual. It was, for instance, both Jeremiah and God, because Jeremiah was picked up and carried along. In fact, in Jeremiah's case, God said in Second uh, Peter 1.9, Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. He did so without violating Jeremiah's distinct personality, and he wrote the very word of God. In fact, this is why we study the word of God, because this is a book that exists as a result of the outbreathing of the Holy Spirit. 
And now concerning the identity of the helper, we could go on and on, but we must be selective rather than exhaustive. We only have about 10 to 15 minutes for these episodes. His identity as another helper, and the word translated as another here is alos, not herateos. And Jesus promised a helper of the same kind rather than of a different kind. The Spirit is the parkletos, the one who comes alongside. Jesus said he would be with you forever. He dwells with you and will be in you in John 14, 16 through 17. In other words, his ministry is both permanent and it's personal. Now let's continue talking about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity, and he has he is a being, a personal being, rather than an impersonal force, as we've said. He is the same in substance and equal in power and glory with God the Father and the Son. Each person of the Godhead possesses a personal property. And the personal property of the Spirit, who is the third person of the Godhead, is that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, functions as a life-giving agent of creation and new creation. The Spirit is the principal power of biblical revelation, illumination, and persuasion. He also brings about the conviction, the regeneration, and the transformation of hearts of sinners. In fact, in the economy of redemption, the Spirit applies the saving work of the Son to the hearts and lives of the elect. The Spirit unites believers to Christ, imparting all the benefits of Christ's person and work to them. And so Scripture teaches that there is one true and living God. God subsists in three distinct and yet inseparable persons. And so the members of the Godhead fully dwell with one another, and together they are the one true and living God. All the members of the Godhead are of the same divine essence as the Westminster Catechism states, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so theologians have commonly referred to the Holy Spirit as a third person of the Godhead. And this doesn't entail any subordination as to being or authority. Rather, it indicates a personal distinction between the three members of the Godhead. Procession or spiration is the personal property of the Spirit that distinguishes him from the Father and the Son. And so, Scripture refers to the Spirit by a variety of names, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness, and the Spirit of Christ. In the early church, debates about the Holy Spirit centered on the personhood of the Spirit rather than of his deity. Herman Bavnik in Reformed Dogmatics said this, with reference to the second person, the crux of the controversy was almost always his deity. Generally speaking, his personhood was not in dispute. In the case of the Holy Spirit, it was his personhood that primarily sparked the polemics. If his personality was acknowledged, his deity naturally followed. And so scripture teaches the personhood of the Holy Spirit in a variety of ways. The Apostle Peter testified to the personhood and the deity of the Holy Spirit in his confrontation with Ananias when he said in Acts 5, 3-4, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. This is clear evidence of the deity and the personality of the Holy Spirit. And when the Apostle Paul gave his departing speech to the elders in the church of Ephesus, he reminded them that the Holy Spirit had personally made them overseers of the church of God in Acts 20.28. 
And so the personhood of the Spirit is also revealed in the way that the New Testament attributes authorship of the Old Testament to the Spirit. Quoting Psalm 110, Jesus said this, David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying in Matthew twenty-two forty-three. And the writer of Hebrews notes that the Spirit's personal authorship of Psalm 95, saying, As the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, in Hebrews 3, 7, Only persons speak, and so these verses demonstrate that the Spirit is a communicative, divine person. In the Old Testament, the Spirit hovered over the waters of the newly created and um, unformed world. He acted as the eminent agent of creation, bringing order out of chaos and life and beauty into the world. Psalm 104.30 speaks of the way in which the Spirit produces and sustains life in the created world. You sent forth your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And similarly, the Spirit is the agent of life, sustenance, and power in the work of the new creation. In fact, in the work of the new creation, the Holy Spirit imparts all the graces of God to the redeemed. Herman Babnick highlights the activity of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament in the following way. The Spirit of God is the principle of all life and well-being, of all the gifts and the powers in the sphere of revelation, of courage, of physical strength, of artistic skill, of the ability to govern, of intellect and wisdom, of holiness and renewal, and of prophecy and prediction, he says. In both Old and New Testament, the Spirit is the agent of the revelation of Christ on the basis of his person and work. The Spirit is also the agent of the believer's union with Christ. The Old Testament prophets foretold of the role of the Spirit in the life and the ministry of Christ in Isaiah 11, 2, 42, 1, and 61, 1. They also anticipated the work of the Spirit as the agent of the application of the saving work of Christ among the nations. The New Testament scriptures explain that the Holy Spirit supported Christ in his carrying out of the work of redemption. The Spirit acted as the agent of Jesus' miraculous conception in Mary's womb. He filled Christ for his growth and development. He empowered Christ to do miraculous works, and he led Christ into and supported him during his temptations and sufferings. And moreover, by the Spirit, Christ offered himself up to God, Hebrews 9.14. The Spirit was the agent of the resurrection and the glorification of Christ. A denial of the work of the Spirit and the miraculous works of Christ is equivalent to blasphemy against God. And after his ascension, Jesus sent the Spirit to his people in order to empower them to bear witness uh, to him throughout the world. And during the apostolic age, the Spirit worked extraordinary gifts in his people to attest to the coming of the kingdom of God. I believe in that those gifts ceased with the closing of the canon. The Spirit of Christ gives power and efficacy to the message of the gospel preached by those whom God has appointed to bring good news to a lost and perishing world. And having convicted the elect of sin and of their need of the Savior, the Holy Spirit regenerates them and dwells them and becomes the seal of their everlasting inheritance. Believers may, by embracing sin, grieve and even quench the Spirit, and yet the Spirit sanctifies believers, leading them into passive holiness while producing hope and joy and assurance in their souls. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.
Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.